This podcast is presented to you by Pastor Derek Armstrong and Word of Grace Community Church. For more information, please visit WOGCC.com. Come out to church today. Pray that you are here expecting something from the Lord, that you came with a heart ready to receive what God has for you, and that we don't just show up to church because it's something good to do, right? We're come, we come and gather here together to worship God and to expect to hear what He would have for us, that this Word is like a seed that gets planted in our heart, and that God is going to do something with that seed in our lives as we take steps forward, and as we're led and directed and guided by His Holy Spirit. Amen, somebody. We started this new series last week that's called I Want a New Marriage. And last week we kicked it off by talking about um, technology in marriage and the different effects that those things have in our lives, whether you're married or a single person, whether you're uh, divorced, whether you're widowed, uh, whether you have no intention of ever being married. It, it doesn't matter. The principles can still apply to us no matter what season of life we may be in because we know that God wants that relationship with Him first. And God wants that relationship between, he, between us and Him to be everything, not just a part of our lives. But everything. He wants everything. And I just think that, you know, as we were singing, as we were worshiping, man, I was just thinking, you know, Jesus, you really are enough. That's all I got. Jesus, you're enough, you know? We look to so many things to satisfy us or to bring about some sort of peace or joy in our lives. Oh, I'll be happy when I have this or when this isn't going on in my life or I'll have peace in my home when... I don't have this stress or when I have this type of job or whatever the case may be. That stuff's never going to make us happy or give us peace, is it? No. Jesus is enough. Amen? Amen. And, and, and we, we need to grasp that and learn that and understand that and understand that union that we now have with God because of Jesus and how He truly is enough. So this morning, we're going to continue on in this series called I Want a New Marriage. And the title of my message is Not I, But We. Not I, but we. You can also follow along on version if you brought your iPad or your phone or whatever you have that you have that, uh, uh, the version Bible app. Just search for a live event in your area and you'll be able to uh, follow along there. You know, as we get into this, I was thinking that things change in marriage the longer you're married. You learn what is important to your spouse and what's not really that important. Like a Batman cup. You learn that certain things are really important and some things really aren't that, uh, that big of a deal to them. And you also learn what triggers certain behaviors also, what buttons to push. Uh, but even though all these things are completely different in each one of us, God came up with this whole idea that two different people wouldn't just come together and just be two different people their whole lives, but that they would actually become one. That was God in, God's intent for marriage is that two different people with different ideas, with different life experiences, and, and with, with, with different things that, that, that may trigger them, different likes and dislikes, somehow these two people could come together and become one because this was God's idea. So today we're going to talk about the purpose of marriage and how God desires us to understand that it's no longer I but we. But before we get too much further in this, I want to give you a warning. All right, do not lift your hands when I ask you a question in this message. You will get in trouble. Don't lift your hand, and, and, and I'm going to go ahead and pray in advance for the ribs of men 
from the sting of the elbow of the woman. And I'm also going to pray for the women to be protected from the stares or the mean mugs or looks that the men may give them as well. If you feel the need in this message to throw out a mm-hmm, follow it with an amen and it'll sound more spiritual and less condescending. Just give you a heads up as we go into this today. So if you brought your Bible, go to the book of Mark and the 10th chapter. We're going to look here in Mark chapter 10. We're going to look in the very first verse. And what's going on here is that Jesus is once again being confronted by the Pharisees or the religious leaders of that day. And they were coming to him, always trying to catch him in a trap. You know, they're wanting him to slip up or they're wanting to give him a loaded question just so they can expose something to, to, to disprove that he is who everyone is saying that he is, and that's the Messiah, the Son of God. And, and, and the Pharisees didn't like this because they didn't believe Jesus was the guy because he didn't come the way that they thought he would come. So they were always giving him these loaded questions and trying to set him up to slip up or say something that, that, that wasn't right. And this is one of those scenarios where they come to him with another loaded question. So let's look at that in Mark chapter 10 and verse 1. Then he arose from there and came to the region of Judea by the other side of Jordan, and multitudes gathered to him again, and he was accustomed to, uh, as he was accustomed to, and he taught them again. The Pharisees came and asked him, Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? They were testing him. He answered and said to them, What did Moses say to you? They said, Moses permitted a man to write a certificate of divorce and to dismiss her. Jesus answered and said to them, Because of the hardness of your heart, he wrote this precept. But from the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife. And the two shall become one flesh. So then they are no longer two, but now they're one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no man separate. As we see here that Jesus is dealing with the subject of divorce they were trying to trap him. They were trying to set him up, okay? And I, I want you to understand something. I know we have people here today that, that, that you've been through the unfortunate mess of divorce. And the Bible says that God hates divorce, but he doesn't hate the people who have been divorced. Amen, somebody. Amen. He hates the act of divorce because we all should hate the act of divorce because it hurts families. Amen? It's painful. It hurts. My parents have been divorced, and I know the pain of that. And I, I, Just as their child, and I know that some of you who have experienced those things, whether growing up or in a previous marriage that you've had, that those things hurt. They're very painful. So God hates that act, but he loves us regardless of where we're at and what we're going through, regardless of what may have happened, what decisions we've been made, not pointing fingers to justify our decision. But I want you to understand, God loves you regardless of what season of life you may be in. That's the beautiful thing about God is that His love is something we like to call unconditional. Amen? But here at the same time, God was in the flesh as Jesus Christ, not undervaluing the weight of marriage. Because I think a lot of times in our society and in our culture that marriage has lost its weight. It has lost the weight of even that word. We began to look at it as just, oh, it's no big deal. We can get divorced overnight, you know, for 1995. A lot of different people will want to try to say, oh, you can, you can go ahead and get this thing over with if it's not working out. Because we started out being two people who agreed and, and, and we look at marriage as just, we're going to stay together until we can no longer agree. And we don't value the weight of marriage when Jesus said, and he was quoting Genesis chapter 2 and verse 24 here when he was talking to the Pharisees to let them know that he knew the Old Testament scriptures. 
when he said that what God has joined together, let no man separate. He said the two are going to become one. The two are going to become one flesh. Not two individuals, but it's now one. It's no longer I, but it's now we. And that's the weight of this thing. That's what God wants us to understand, this weight of what marriage is. You see, here's the thing. When we come together, we need to forsake the idea of the fact that we're just going to stay together until we can't get along or agree anymore, but that we go through difficult things together as one. Amen, somebody? Amen. Aren't we glad that God didn't give up on us during the times where we may have gone through difficulties or we may have been a pill in His eyes? That's what my mother used to say. You're being a pill. I'm not sure what that means, but now that I think about it, right here in this moment as I'm preaching. But I want you to understand something, that, that marriage is weighty. It glorifies God. It glorifies God. It's something God came up with. It's not man's idea. That's why he said what God has joined together, let no man separate. This isn't something that just because I'm a pastor and I, I do your, your marriage and uh, you do your wedding and, and, and we all say I do, blah, blah, blah. That doesn't mean I've done anything. I've officiated the wedding, but I haven't really made the two one. God does that. God brings us together. And God wants us to understand the weight of that covenant and that it's not just something that should be entered into or taken lightly. That's why when we say our vows, oftentimes you'll hear in more traditional vows that you'll hear things, you know, repeated like in sickness and in health for better or worse till death do us part. For better or worse. The better is the easy part, right? When things are better. It's the worst part. That's where we have struggles with commitment is when things are worse. But let me tell you, if you plan on getting married or if you are married, you're going to experience worse. There will be days of worse. Amen, amen. amen somebody. Mm -hmm. Just say, mm-hmm, amen. Sound more spiritual. That's why I gave you guys a warning in the beginning, okay? But here's the thing we need to understand that it's two becoming one for better or for worse, for richer or poorer, in sickness and in health, for better or for worse, till death do us part. Two becoming one. Marriage glorifies God because it helps us to grow to be more like Jesus. Amen? Amen. Marriage helps us glorify God because it helps us to become more like Jesus. Check this out. In Romans 8. Romans, the 8th chapter, and the 28th verse, the Bible says this, We know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to His purpose. For whom He foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son, that He might be the firstborn among many brethren. As we think about that, as we think about the fact that you know, we have been made one with Christ. We have been made like Christ in spirit when He came in us and made all things new. But that doesn't mean that I have allowed that to influence and affect and change my 
thinking or, or the way that I may act or react to certain situations, even though in Christ I've, I've, I've already been conformed to his image in spirit, but now I'm growing more and more in the character of Christ, allowing what he's done on the inside of me to reflect the outside, for my character to begin to grow in that image of who he is, not only in spirit, but who he was here on the earth. And the life that he desires for me to live, the marriage that he desires for me to have that's actually going to be more beneficial if I reflect and model the character qualities of Christ. And here is the cool thing, is that when we come together, two people becoming one, it actually helps us to grow to be more like Christ because marriage is the greatest instrument of sanctification. Greatest instrument of sanctification is marriage. Second greatest is having children. Because you didn't know how selfish you were till you got married. You didn't know how selfish you were till you had kids. You see, to be conformed to the image of Christ is not only to grow to know Him, but to grow to be more like Him and reflect that character of Him in my life. So let's begin to ask ourselves and think, what do I see in the character of Jesus Christ? What do I see the characters that he possesses that he desires for me to reflect in my marriage and in my life that he has for me? The first thing is this, and, and this is kind of the first one that popped in my head as I was studying. Unconditional love. That is Jesus. He's God in the flesh. God is love. And he loves unconditionally. Now, if I were married to someone that always met my conditions 24-7, how would I ever learn unconditional love? How would I ever learn how to love someone on the good times and the bad times? Unconditionally, if that person always met my conditions, it would be all about me at that moment. I would never have to think about someone else because I always get my way and I always get what I want. And man, isn't life great? And sometimes we enter marriage thinking that. We think, man, I, I want everything that I want now, and this person is going to give me everything I want, everything I desire, everything I need. And once you get over the honeymoon, maybe even you don't get that far. You figure out that's not going to happen. You figure out, wow, this is a different person. We have different thoughts and ideas about things, and we've got to come together and figure this thing out. Because now, not only... Are we people who are all kissy-poo and huggy-poo? That's weird to say. Why that even came out of my mouth, I don't know. But it did. But now we are people who are managing money together. We're people who are managing time together, who are eventually going to be parenting children together at some point. We're going to be making decisions as a unit, as a couple, as one to buy cars and houses and where we're going to move, where we're going to live. We're going to be doing life together. And we're not always going to be on the same page. But through all of that process, through all of that conflict, for better or worse, I began to learn how to love someone unconditionally. And that's what Christ did. Christ's love was without condition because you remember even when he was on the cross... Did he say, oh, you Roman guys that was stabbing me and beat me, you're going to get it. Here comes the thunder. Now, what did he say? He said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. 
unconditionally loving them. For God so loved the world, not just the ones that he liked, the world, amen? amen? Not just the ones that he thought were special and that when they were born, that they had a star by their name in heaven, but the ones, he said, the world. Not just certain ones. God so loved the world that he loved unconditionally. He gave unconditionally. It's the love of the Father. It's the heart of God. And that gets chiseled and, and, and shaped and molded in my relationship as I begin to grow together with my spouse. Here's the thing. If I were married to someone that always met my conditions all the time, I would never learn unconditional love. I would be experiencing what I call if love. I'll love you if. I'll love you if you always pick up after yourself. I'll love you if you always cook dinner when I get home and everything's perfect. I'll love you if you always stay skinny. If we always have money. If you always meet my needs. If you do this well. If you always do what I want when I want. And we have all these ifs attached to our love. And that's not the love of Christ. No conditions mean for better or for worse. I'm staying committed to this union till death do us part. Amen, somebody. The second thing I think about when I think about the character of Christ is I think about He's merciful. He's long-suffering. He's compassionate. Those are things I think when I think about Jesus. And, and I begin to think, how would we ever learn these things if we were married to someone who never failed us? Who did everything perfect all of the time. They never frustrated us, aggravated us. They did things perfect all the time. How, how would we ever learn mercy and compassion? How would we ever learn how to be long-suffering... So you can put your arm around your spouse, look at him or her, and tell them, Honey, thank you for helping me to grow in being long-suffering. <laughs> just going to let that one sit for a moment. <laughs> let it just kind of permeate the room. You see, here's the thing. If that person never failed me, how would I ever learn how to forgive a wrong if I never had to forgive a wrong? How would I ever learn these things? How would I ever learn to grow in these things if this person never, never, never did anything wrong? But yes, we learn mercy. Jesus, he says that his mercies are new every morning. You see, we have this opportunity to be the most like Christ when we're faced with our worst. When we're faced with our absolute worst, that's the best opportunity that you and I have to be the most like Christ. Christ, because our spouses are going to see us at our best, they're going to see us at our worst. But they don't quit on us. They stay there with us because we are one. Because we understand the weight of that commitment to one another. I remember one time, years ago, I, I, I went through this funk, okay? That's the best word I can come up with for it. It was my funk that, that, that I was really just struggling with, you know, money issues. I was struggling with my calling. I was struggling with um, the church that uh, God had, had called me to, things just weren't going well in my life in a lot of different areas. I was struggling in business that I had started, and I was getting very frustrated. My emotions were shot. My brain was just fried, okay? And I mean, I was just absolutely just in this funk, depressive thing where I didn't want to see anybody, didn't want to do anything, 
Didn't want to get up out of bed in the morning, so let me tell you what I did for a week straight. I sat on the couch for a week. I only got up when I needed to go to the restroom. My wife brought me my food. I slept on the couch, sat on the couch. I didn't bathe for a week. I call it my funk for multiple reasons. Because <laughs> I, I was in a dark place. I was in a really dark place, one of the darkest places I would say that I've probably the darkest place I've ever been in my life where I was just struggling with so many different things. And, and, and I, was, I was very, very selfish in that moment because it was all about poor old me and, and I was just getting down on, you know, well, this person didn't do this and this didn't happen in my life the way I wanted to and this, this didn't work out and oh, man. And I just sat there and I'm struggling with all of these failures that the enemy was just throwing in my face that I was buying into. Hook, line, and sinker. I, I took the bait. And it cost me a week of just sitting there, just doing nothing. Matter of fact, uh, if you could look on that couch, you could probably still see the imprints of where I had kind of camped out there that week. You know? But let me tell you something, folks. My wife didn't say, this is it, I'm done. This is too stressful. This is too much. You're too much. She stayed with me through the whole thing, and she never gave up on me. She sat there with me and would talk with me. She'd cry with me. She'd encourage me. She'd pray for me. She would bring me food, even though I know she just wanted to kick my rear. <laughs> and there were a few times that she did, and I needed it. Amen. I did. <laughs> Miss Joan knows what's up, because I did. I did. I needed it. Because I, I was in a bad place, but I, I, I had just kept believing the lies of the devil. I kept listening to it, kept rehearsing it over and over again in my mind. I just, you know, kind of like on your iPod when you, just, when you just hit that repeat button and it just keeps going over and over again. Or like a record player when it just keeps skipping, hitting that same thing over. That's, that's where I was, rehearsing those things over and over again in my mind. And she was there the whole time. And I would say that was one of the worst points of my life. And my wife didn't say... You're crazy. I'm giving up on you. This is it. Or that didn't, it, it actually didn't put distance between us in our relationship. It actually brought us closer. Because she was there encouraging me and praying for me and being there for me. You see, selfishness wants to run when we can't get along. When I think about myself, I want to run. I don't want to deal with that person when they're at their worst. I want to run. Okay, that's what selfishness wants to do. But instead, I want to challenge you to look at it as an opportunity to grow to be more and more like Christ. Because when we're at our worst, that's one of the greatest opportunities we have to show the love, unconditional love of Christ, the mercy, the long-suffering, the compassion of Christ. And then the third thing is grace. Because that is who Jesus is, is grace. Grace is undeserved. It's unearned favor and love how would you ever learn grace if your spouse was always deserving of everything perfect and good that you ever gave them? That's why we just don't get the things we deserve from one another. We're growing and, and modeling and giving and receiving just like Jesus. We learn grace. We learn humility. We learn compassion. We learn unconditional love in the context of being married to someone. 
It's one of the greatest instruments of sanctification that there is, you know. I, I mean, here's the thing, that, that we, we love our spouse because we're committed to them during their best and their worst, and we love them for who they are, not who we want them to be. Oh, let me say it slow so I can say it some more. Love your spouse for who they are, not who you want them to be. For who they are. Did, did God love us for who we are, who we were, or who he wanted us to be? I'll love you. You'll earn my love when you get to a certain status in my eyes. Then don't think about loving you. No. He loved us in our weakness. He loved us in our darkness. He loved us in our failures. He was committed to us and he said, I love you, so I'm willing to give my best for you before you ever even had an opportunity to really choose me. I'm going to go ahead and pre-love you. I'm going to make the decision to love you before because before the foundations of the world, the lamb was slain. He loved us. He was already committed to us. He was already saying, these are my kids. I love them. I want them to choose me and love me because I'm going to just pour out my love on them. My love's going to be so ridiculous and crazy. They're not going to be able to measure how high or deep or how wide, how vast it is. They're not going to be able to even, even conceive how big my love is for them because I'll even forgive their sins and I forget those things that they are far removed from me as far as the east is from the west. I'm going to love them so much, they're, they're, they're not even going to be able to comprehend the love of the Father. How great is that kind of love? And you and I get to experience that in the context of marriage because we love our spouse for who they are, where they are, not who we want them to be. Let's go to the book of Ephesians in the fifth chapter. Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 22 Ephesians 5 and 22. I'll give you just a second to get there. Ephesians 5 and 22. The Bible says this, Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, as also Christ is head of the church, and he is the Savior of the body. Therefore, just as the church is subject to Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. Husbands, Love your wives, just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her, that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word, that he might present her to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish. So husbands ought to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as the Lord does the church. For we are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother, and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. You see, folks, marriage is a picture of the relationship of God of, of us with God through Jesus Christ. We are the body. We are the bride of Christ. We are one with Christ. You see, when you come into Christ, He makes all things new. It's no longer an individual thing anymore where Jesus kind of comes to help you out. It's no longer Jesus is sitting in my sidecar. I love old school video games and stuff. Matter of fact, I used to run an online 
uh, vintage video game business, you know, Atari and, and, and regular, you know, 8-bit Nintendos and things like that. And I, I still have some of those things. One of my favorite games on the old 8-bit Nintendo was a game that was called Tiger Heli. All right, I love this game. This game was awesome. I still have it. It's, uh, it's, it's a game where you're this helicopter that flies around shooting stuff. I don't know why, but you do, okay? You fly around shooting stuff. This was before games had elaborate storylines like they do now. And occasionally, when you would get in a bind, there would be an opportunity for you to pick up a little heli. And what this was, this was a mini helicopter that would come alongside you, and he would, he would shoot in some direction, like either left or right or forwards or backwards, and he would help you out when you got in a bind. And then when you didn't need any more, him anymore, you know, he could get shot, you could, he'd blow up, or you could just get rid of him. You didn't have to have it. You just, okay, it's fun to have him. There, I don't need him anymore. A lot of times we look at Christ in the same way. Oh, I, my life is fine. I'm good. Oh, I need Jesus. Come help me a little bit. Okay, I'm good now. Go away, Jesus. And a lot of times we treat our spouse the exact same way. I only need my spouse. I only want to be with my spouse when I have certain needs in my life. And then I'm like, oh, go away. I'm going to go do my own thing. That's not the way this works, folks. It's not an assistant that's just there to help us when we're in need. This is someone that we are committed to in a covenant relationship that we're supposed to do life together and weight needs to be brought back to marriage in our land again. Amen? Amen. It needs to be brought back here even in the state of Wisconsin. I was looking up some statistics and I found that in 2012, which was the most recent statistics I could get on marriage, that the average age for two people getting married in the state of Wisconsin is... 27 years old. That's the average age for someone getting married. Now get this. The second marriage, the average age, was in the late 40s. And I began to think, what, what happened in that time that those would be the two peak times for people to get married? What happened in that span, in that space? As I began to think about it, I was talking with Pastor Keith about it, and he said, kids, I said, that's huge. That's a big thing. A lot of times, you know, that's, that's where our kids start getting older. They start looking at college or maybe they're moving out of the house. We begin to develop this empty nest syndrome. And then all of a sudden we realize we didn't know each other. We don't know each other anymore. We have no purpose because I've been living vicariously through my children. And I don't even know the person that I've been living with because I've been treating them as an assistant when I only needed them instead of them being my covenant partner who I'm one with. And then when my kids are gone, I don't know my spouse anymore. And I don't like them because I don't know them. I, I, all this built-up and pent-up anger and frustration now gets unloaded and unleashed. Some people only stay married until their kids get out of the house, and they stay married for their children instead of because it's something they committed to in the sight of God. And they just decide, oh, I don't want to be with this person anymore because, oh, I don't like them anymore, or I don't have those feelings for them anymore. Folks, let me tell you something. Marriage is not about a feeling. Folks, let me tell you something. Marriage is not about a feeling. Because I want you to understand something. Faith in God and trusting Him and living your life for Him is not a feeling. Do feelings come? Yes. But too many times in our lives we put feelings before faith. Faith comes first, feelings come later. You step out in faith and do what you know God is telling you to do and what you have committed to do, and you be faithful in those things. And I promise you, maybe not today, maybe not tomorrow, the feelings come. 
When the woman with the issue of blood wanted to be healed after 12 years of dealing with this issue of blood, she looked at Jesus and she said, if I could only touch the hem of his garment, then I'm going to be healed. Faith first. Then she pushed through the crowd. It wasn't easy because Jesus was being followed by a lot of people. And this woman's in pain. This woman is dealing with this issue of blood. And when someone dealt with that issue in their lives, they were not supposed to be mingling with everyone in the public place, okay? They were supposed to be put away. And this lady seen all kinds of doctors. Nobody was able to help her, but she decided to push through the crowd. She decided to go do something that was unpopular in the midst of her pain, in the midst of not feeling well, because she had faith. And she said, if I could only grab a hold of him of his garment. And she did. And then she felt. Then she was made whole. Wouldn't it have been easier for her just to have been able to walk up to Jesus and thank him after she had already felt better and worship him then? No, she had already made the decision that she was going to get a hold of Jesus regardless of how she felt. Folks, let me tell you something. We can't give up on our marriage simply because of feelings. Simply because someone isn't doing what we want them to do. Because how are we ever going to grow? How are we ever going to grow together as one and learn those things that God wants to show us about himself through our spouse? If we just always give up when things get difficult. Love our spouse for who they are, not who we want them to be. I want you to understand that marriage is God's plan for, first of all, demonstration, for procreation, and for sanctification. Marriage is God's plan for demonstration as in how the covenant bond of marriage is demonstrated between a man and a woman is the highest form of an earthly relationship that models and reflects that connection and that oneness with God and man. It shows us the heart of God for us. shows us the unity that we have with God through Christ. The covenant relationship it shows and models that for us as we see that paul was talking about to the church in ephesus in ephesians chapter 5 as we read a minute ago how this is is was talking about the church the body of christ and how we're one with christ and then for procreation because let me tell you something procreation having kids happens best in the context of marriage i know i'm in church today mm -hmm. Let me tell you something. When we have children outside of the context of marriage, things are a lot more difficult. Why? Because that's not God's best. That's not God's plan. That wasn't God's original design for where children were supposed to come in to. Uh, it's supposed to be done in the context of a marriage. I was a youth pastor for seven years, and I remember that there were kids that would tell me, you know, I hear my parents tell me that they love me, but I never hear them tell that to one another. As I began to think about that, I began to think, man, a kid would rather hear his mom and dad say that they love one another than that they love them. Because what that does when you have children within the context of marriage, and when they know that mom and dad love one another, that brings security to that child. And your children are looking for you to bring security. That's something you are supposed to give them as a parent. You give them security and you're actually modeling for them the love of God. You're modeling for them the security of that love of God. By making your home a place where they understand 
mom and dad love one another. It's not a perfect home. I'm not saying you have to be all creepy Stepford wives. <laughs> but that they feel that security that mom and dad love one another. That they see that mom and dad, you know, that, that they touch, they hug, they kiss, and the kids go, ooh. <laughs> Even though they may say that, at least they know that mom and dad are still in love. They know that mom and dad still care about one another. That brings warmth and security to a child's heart. Even though the older they get, they might make funny faces. That they see the fact that not only do we hug them before we go to bed, but they see us hug our spouse. They see us touch. They see us hold hands. They see us engage in conversation, you know, that, 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 that's not always uh, raised tones. Or that's not always, you know, dealing with problems. But they enjoy one another. They're friends. They're, they're actually enjoying being together. That's demonstrating for them the heart and the love of God, and it brings security in the home. So that's why procreation is best done, and it's God's plan for it to be done in the context of marriage. And then lastly, we've talked about for sanctification, because we know that marriage is going to unveil selfishness that we didn't even know was there. What marriage does is it actually unveils childlike tendencies in us, and when we're confronted with those things in the context of marriage, oftentimes, we don't realize how childlike our behavior can be. Because there's these selfish tendencies in us. Whatever has created those reactions in our lives, whatever uh, thing has happened in our lives to create those things, those things get unveiled in the context of marriage. You might get, have everybody else fooled, but you don't have your spouse fooled. She knows when you lay on the floor and you kick and scream, I want to go to watch the football game. <laughs> or I want to go to the mall. They see all that stuff. They see, the, you know, they see all that junk between you. And I know you don't really do that. If you do that, we seriously need to talk. <laughs> we may not act out in that way, but we still will stomp, slam, childish things. Raise our voice. Make faces, call names, childish, childish things. That's all, that's all childish stuff. But you see, if I recognize it, this person is actually helping in, my, in the process of sanctification in my life. When I reveal those things, they're able to help me to deal with those things and grow to be more and more like Christ. Because here's the thing. If we understand the purpose of marriage being we and no longer I, then we can begin to grow together in the image of Christ. Together. Amen? I want to give you a challenge this week. I want you to do three things, okay? For the next seven days, I want you to do the following things in your marriage together. Not separately, together. Number one, I want you to read through Ephesians 5 and 22 through 32, the verse that we just, uh, the, the passage that we just read a little earlier. I want you to do that every night or whenever you're available to do that. Commit to do this for the next seven days, okay? I want you to read this together every night. Take turns who reads or, or however you want to set it up. Then I want you to discuss what you're seeing in yourself and what you're understanding about the context of this passage together. Together, okay? And I want you to read the same thing every night, and I want you to talk about it every night. It, it won't take you 10 minutes, 10, 15 minutes. be the best 10, 15 minutes of your day as you begin to talk about the Scripture. Because how many of you have ever heard a Scripture one time, and then you heard it a second time, and a third time, and then you read it, and you go, wow, it's almost like I'm seeing it for the first time. And you're getting so much more out of it. And you're like, wow. I, it's almost like I get it. Mind blown, right? 
That's what happens. That's called meditating on the Word of God. We use that word meditate, and it kind of sounds you know, uh, like, a, like a foreign word to us. sounds like an Eastern mystic type word. But the word meditate actually just means to think on the same thing over and over again. And that's what you're doing. You're, you're confronting yourself with this and you're thinking on it over and over again. That's what you're doing when you're meditating on the Word of God. You're thinking about it and God begins by His Holy Spirit to reveal things to you that maybe you didn't even see. And you go, wow, I get this and I get how it applies to my life. I get what God's saying to me there. And, it just, and, and that's why I'm asking you to read it every day for the next seven days and then talk about it and just watch what God does. Watch what God reveals, okay? And, and, and I want you to talk about what you're seeing in yourself what you're seeing in yourself. The temptation is always to go, well, honey, let me tell you. I've been thinking about that Ephesians 5 thing. You know that submit part? Let me tell you, we need to talk about that because I looked up the Greek word for submit, and it's submit. <laughs> and we won't get all spiritual on them. I'm not asking you to look at this and point fingers at your spouse because if you do that, you're going to be in my office before you can know it. Going, well, Pastor, you told us to do this. No, I told you to look at yourself. Right? Look at yourself. The philosophy of, I'm starting with the man in the mirror. Woo, right? That's what we're doing. We're starting with ourselves. We're looking in the mirror and we're saying, okay, how does this apply to me? And I want you to talk to your spouse about how that applies to you. Not to them, to you. Second thing, pray every evening for one another before going to bed. Just pray for one another. Out loud. I don't know what to say. I don't know what to do. Praying is just simply talking to God, folks. God's not going to be impressed because you pray in the king's English. Oh, Lord, I thanketh thee for thine woman whom thou hast blessed me with. And I thanketh thee so much for this dayeth. That's not what God's looking for. He's not looking for eloquent speech. He's looking for our heart. Amen? Amen. Doesn't have to be some long extended prayer where you two begin to compete who can outpray the other. <laughs> Just speak to God from your heart. I want you to pray for your spouse. I want you to pray for your children if you have children. Pray for your future. Pray for God's direction in your marriage. Even if you're single, this is the third thing, even if you're single, if you're engaged, widowed, divorced, or you desire to stay single. I've been married and I'm single now, but I ain't going back. I mean, I hear that stuff too, you know. I don't care what season of life you're in, I want you to commit to pray for marriage as a whole, okay? Just take this week, even if you're a single person, I want you to pray for marriages. Pray that the weight of commitment would be renewed in our lives. Pray that that weight would just be refreshed and renewed. Because here's the thing, we need to allow God's word this week to bring us closer in our marriage. A stronger commitment. And understanding that I'm committed when things are going well, and when they're not. Because together we're being made more and more like Jesus. For better or worse, till death do us part. Amen, somebody? Amen. Bow your heads this morning. Thank you for listening. For more information, please visit wogcc.com.